This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? My name is Elliot Shore Parks here with the one and only Brian Baldinger. And this is, of course, the Prevent Defense podcast on Radio.com Sports. We appreciate everybody that's been leaving the reviews, leaving comments and questions. Make sure you go and do that if you have not already. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast apps. And you can, of course, listen to us on the Radio.com Sports app. Baldy, what's going on, man? Elliot, these weeks are starting to fly by. We're in that rhythm right now. They really are. I'm in a film room right now. I've been watching literally week two nonstop since early yesterday morning. I'm still trying to get caught up, but there's just so much. I mean, whether it's the changing the guard of quarterbacks or whether it's, you know, new players playing because of injuries or whether it's teams that are trying to figure themselves out or teams that have gotten off to great starts like San Francisco and Buffalo that people might not have expected, whatever. Uh, there's just an awful lot to really digest. Yeah. Well, I'm happy you mentioned the changing of the guards and the quarterbacks because it's crazy how much turnover we've seen this week. I mean, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, Cam Newton. You know, two or three years ago, these were some of the top five, five top ten quarterbacks in the league. Now all of them might not be playing this upcoming Sunday. I wanted to get your opinion on all those guys, the fallout of them being either hurt, benched. So let, let's start with the biggest one of today. The Eli Manning era might be over in New York. I got to tell you, man, I think it's the right call going to Daniel Jones. I think it was the decision they should have made in week one. They should have made it this past offseason, uh, you know, getting rid of Eli, whether that's, you know, trading him or cutting him. Only the Giants could make making the right decision look bad. Like, why do you hold on to Eli for two weeks, then bench him? Like, where's the plan in New York? I mean, if you believed in Daniel Jones then he should have just started in week one. If your plan was to stick with Eli, why do it after two weeks where I know he hasn't looked great, but he's made some some good throws against the Cowboys. And I honestly think it's more on Pat Shermer, but I'm just perplexed by what the Giants are doing. What do you think of the decision to go with Daniel Jones? And does it seem like the Giants have a plan here? It's all the right questions, Elliot. It's all the right questions. Uh, certainly, Eli is not the sole problem. Now he had three balls batted down and one got intercepted in the first half and, you know, they couldn't finish drives, but they have a hard time outside of their opening drive of the game. They just have a hard time putting drives together. And if the ball isn't being put in Saquon Barkley's hands, you really can't trust anybody else with the ball, Mm -hmm. whether it's Evan Ingram on third down or whether it's an offense lineman to hold up, you can't trust anybody else in the offense. And so it's much like the giants getting off to a one and seven start last year. And, you know, Eli wasn't good, but the team was terrible. And so, you know, the Buffalo Bills, they they look like a playoff team next to the New York Giants on Sunday. And they're all their young players, starting with their young quarterback, Josh Allen, and all the players they brought in, whether it's Frank Gore and Devin Singletary at running back, whether, you know, it's bringing in Quentin Spain at guard and Mitch Morse uh, on the offensive line and drafting Cody Ford, whether it's bringing in you know, John Brown and Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox. I mean, every single move they made paid off on Sunday against the Giants. And it made that's what made the, the perspective of the Bills versus the Giants look so striking to me. Mm-hmm. Because if you say, okay, let's put Daniel Jones in week two, I, I don't think things are going to change that much. I mean, he'll elude the rush a little bit better than Eli did. Um, he might make... I don't know if he's going to make better throws, to be honest with you. I saw a lot of drop balls by everybody. Uh, but 
the plan that you speak of, I can see the plan in Buffalo. They they drafted the quarterback last year and they struggled with him. They were the 30th offensive football last year, and they went and addressed it. They addressed the offensive line to the drafted free agency. They addressed the skilled position. They addressed the running back position. They got rid of popular players like Shady McCoy. And they've been building on defense with a really proven defensive mind in Sean McDermott. So there's a plan there, and you can see it. And to your question, which is a good question, Elliot, and it's one that I think all Giant fans have to ask and are and are probably looking at. There's a plan in Buffalo. Now, you can say, okay, Josh Allen, what's the ceiling? All that stuff. The guy's going to be a good player, and he already is. Yeah. It, it's been two years now of Dave Gettleman running the show, and no move ever seems to have any rhyme or reason. Like, we all saw on Monday night against the Jets, Odell Beckham, obviously still a dynamic player, despite what Greg Williams might say. If you're going to go to Daniel Jones, you're not telling me he has a better chance to succeed with Odell Beckham there. Or if your plan was to stick with Eli for another year, you know, maybe not take advantage of his strong arm, bring Daniel Jones along slowly, fine. Then maybe I can see in some weird world where trading Odell makes a little bit of sense. But now you've benched him. You've essentially not had him in there for two weeks. And you're putting him in there. It just, it doesn't, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw Eli again this year, just because the Giants seem to make decisions just flying by the seat of their pants. There's no blueprint there. And from being in Philadelphia, and you mentioned Buffalo, right? They drafted Josh Allen, so they played Josh Allen. That's just how it works today as an NFL. Mm-hmm. The Eagles drafted Carson Wentz. They, they had Sam Bradford at the time, but they said, He's ready, so they traded Sam Bradford. Like Having Eli Manning on the bench is almost unfair to Daniel Jones in a lot of ways. If he struggles, I think that we will see people call for Eli, and I think Shermer and Gettleman will be tempted to go back to Eli, even though it would be the foolish thing to do. So I know you've spoken highly of Daniel Jones. You watched him a lot uh, in college, and I do think he has a chance to succeed, but I wonder if any quarterback can succeed right now in New York. I agree. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it's an incomplete team. Uh, there was plays last week. I mean, Sean McDermott had their number outside of that first drive. I mean, if you get in a third and long, I mean, Buffalo had no fear with just rushing six and playing man coverage behind it against anybody. And nobody could win. Now, I know Sterling Shepard is out, and I know Golden Tate is out. And so you're playing with, you know, Cody Latimer and, you know, a bunch of guys. I understand that. Uh, but I, I – it's, you know, Evan Ingram has never proven that he could be anything but just an average receiver playing tight end. I mean, yep. they just, there's no outside of Saquon. If, unless you put the ball in his hands and you kind of wish you could put it in his hands every day, every down, because he's the only one that can really make plays. And that's what it comes down to. And so I don't know if Daniel Jones, maybe it's just a different rhythm, a different rhyme. Sometimes these things work inexplicably, you know, we've seen that before. Team just responds differently. It's possible, but it looks so incomplete right now that I'm not so sure that anything could work at this point. And I think we're going to learn a lot about Pat Shermer right now. I like Pat a lot from working with him when he was here in Philadelphia. It's nothing personal. I just don't think he's a head coach. I think he's better as a coordinator Obviously, his career record as a head coach speaks for itself. Now, he's in Cleveland and now with New York and Dave Gettleman. So it's not like he's coaching, you know, the, the Patriots or the 85 Bears, right? Like, he, he's coaching in tough situations. But the track record is what it is. And if Daniel Jones gets in there and he still doesn't look good, 
I think Pat Shermer is the next one to go. Maybe not this season, but next offseason. If you want Daniel Jones to have a chance to succeed, you've got to move on from Pat Shermer as quick as possible if you don't think he's the guy. Where do you fall on Pat as, as a head coach? I mean, obviously in Minnesota, he had his big year with Case Keenum, and he's done some good things developing quarterbacks. But do you think he's a head coach? I think that you could find better candidates right now, especially if you have a young quarterback. I mean, you just like if you look around the league right now, Elliot, and you look at what Greg Roman is doing with Lamar Jackson, there's a plan there for his abilities. If you look at Cliff Kingsbury and what Kyler Murray is doing, there's a plan. There's a good fit there. Now, you could debate air rate. I mean, they just need more talent. But two teams in a row, Detroit and Baltimore, have just seen that guy throw the football and there's no question. Christian Kirks, you know, Keyshawn Johnson, they've got good young players that you can run this offense with. I mean, they can – that was the worst offense in football a year ago. And just Cliff and Kyler and a couple of young players, uh, you can already see that they can move the football. They, they need other pieces, but there's a plan. And there's a, there's a fit between those guys. And so much right now is the fit between your play caller, if it's your coordinator or head coach, and your quarterback. It's just the way the league is. And you better have that dynamic figured out. Sean McVay, Jared Goff. You could go through the list right now. Uh, Kellen Moore looks like a perfect fit with Dak Prescott. Uh, The fit before that wasn't so good. And so, I mean, it's early, and the results are far from being incomplete two weeks into September. But to, to your question, I just think with Daniel Jones, like David Cutcliffe was a good fit. He really played to his strengths at Duke. They didn't have anybody drafted the last four years, but they went and won bowl games with them. You know, I mean, there's a way that you could utilize and maximize his talents. And I don't know that a guy that has come up in a very traditional manner, like Pat Shermer, is that fit. So two teams that we do know have really good head coaches are also now going to be without their quarterbacks. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers lose Ben Roethlisberger for the year. Drew Brees is out. I believe the latest report is four to six weeks, but everyone you talk to in New Orleans says if anyone's going to come back sooner than expected, it is Drew Brees. And the Saints really need him because I can tell you from being in those playoff games in New Orleans, them having home field advantage in the playoffs is a huge deal. I know they lost to the Rams, but we all know about what happened there. So this is more than just about you know winning two or three games while he's gone. This is about that number one seed, which they have the ability to get. Teddy Bridgewater comes in last week. Obviously didn't play great. Now, I'll give Teddy a pass on that one. When you're the backup, you don't get the reps throughout the week. You're not part of the game plan, all those things. So he deserves a bit of a break on that. That being said, he did not look great, and the offense struggled. How much confidence do you have that this isn't just code red for the Saints right now and things are about to get really ugly until Drew Brees gets back? Well, they won't see Aaron Donald this week. (laughs) Aaron Donald put out Drew Brees, and he put out – um, their left guard in the game. I mean, single-handedly just put him out of the game. Um, he ruined their offense. Uh, they, they couldn't function. I mean, he was unbelievable and unstoppable. I, I, he was as effective as I've ever seen him. Now, that being said, this the, the offense was not good. The, the problem is, is that Drew is so skilled and so experienced with both Sean Payton and this offense, he directs the running game, He directs the passing game from the line of scrimmage. He gets you out of a run. He gets you into a pass. He gets you out of a bad play into a good play. He does all these mental gymnastics in a way that 
you know, Peyton Manning kind of, you know, made that popular in a way that you'll never know because he's got a mm -hmm. poker face doing it all the way. But he knows exactly what you're doing and how to beat what you're doing. It's impossible to ask Teddy Bridgewater to play that style. So if you just line up and say, okay, Kamara, Michael Thomas, all right, Jared, you know, Jared Cook. I mean, they've got talent, but you're not going to get the same level of correctness and the edge with Drew, that you have with Drew, that you're going to get with Teddy. It's just not fair to expect it. So Teddy will go through his progressions. He'll make some plays he did the other day. Um, you know, he scrambled way too much. You can just tell by the number of times he took off and ran. You don't see Drew Brees taking off and run. Like, he, he knows where the safety valve is. He knows where to go with the ball. If Teddy's running, this offense isn't working. And that's what happened on Sunday. So they go to Seattle this week. You know, tough for any quarterback. That would have been a tough matchup even for Drew Brees himself. So Teddy Bridgewater, in his first two bits of action, faces maybe the best team in the NFC in the Los Angeles Rams and certainly one of the best teams in the conference as well. Maybe not the caliber of the Rams, but in the Seattle Seahawks, playing there against that defense. They're going to get there, Alan. Really, really. They're going to be really good. Yeah. I mean, you wait till you get Ziggy Ansah, LJ Collier, and Jadevian Clowney all on the field together, and they start getting a pass rush. It, it, because Russell yeah, Wilson is playing at an MVP level. Yeah, so that's going to be a very tough matchup for Teddy Bridgewater. Excited to see that one. Another tough matchup, surprisingly, I will say, I really, I like the Niners. I really like uh, their head coach. I think he's one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. You've seen him do that. And now that Garoppolo is healthy, they're 2-0. and But the Steelers go to San Francisco to play the 49ers. No Big Ben out for the year. He's already said he's going to come back. So we can save the discussion whether or not he'll retire. The immediate question right now for the Steelers is quarterback. They brought Paxton Lynch in today. He's on the practice squad, not on the active roster yet, so he won't be playing on Sunday. Mason Rudolph, what do you know about him? What do Steelers fans need to know about him? And is this season over, or is there a chance that he can actually kind of turn into something and maybe take them to the playoffs? Well, I mean, I've known Mason Rudolph a long time. I did four years of his games at Oklahoma State, probably did no less than six or eight games in Stillwater and other places around the Big 12. I've been around him. I said hello to him on Sunday. Um, he played well. Look, I mean, the one thing you know about Mason Rudolph is he's big, strong, and sturdy. Uh, you know, he's 6'5". He's 240. He can take off with it like he did and scramble for first downs. He's capable of doing that. His arm is plenty strong enough. The biggest play of the season for the Steelers was a, you know, a, a throwback to Mason Rudolph to Juju Smith-Schuster for, you know, the biggest chunk yardage play they had all year, which led to a score. He threw two touchdown passes in a game to Vance McDonald. He made some plays. The problem, whether Ben was healthy or not, is you never know, Elliot, in this world, how much you miss somebody until they're gone. And they miss Antonio Brown. The, mm -hmm. the, when you watch this receiving core right now, um, Dante Moncrief has been awful. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is not a guy that can just beat man coverage. He could beat Stephon Gilmore in the first game. He struggled against Seattle last week and Shaquille Griffin and other guys. Uh, they're looking for receivers. They may be – this Deontay Johnson, the third-round pick from Toledo, might end up being the guy that they go to. And James Washington is a guy that caught more touchdown passes from Mason Rudolph than anybody in Oklahoma State history. He may flourish with Mason Rudolph at quarterback and just continue what they did in Stillwater. But they – do not have a passing game right now. They have no way. They, they've struggled two weeks in a row against the Patriots and against Seattle. 
of getting the ball to the wide receivers. And the front of the San Francisco 49ers is now a strength. And a team that was decimated last year, they could not take the ball away, two interceptions all year. They're taking it away. It's a different defense right now. Quan Alexander, D. Ford, even Boza, but even Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, it's a good front. And the guys on the back end are basically feeding off of that right now. Yeah, I, I think the Steelers' season is over. I mean, look, as good as Lamar Jackson has played, we both really like the Ravens coming into this year. The Browns back bounce back and look better against the Jets. It certainly wasn't the dominating type performance you wanted to see, but it seems like they're turning things around. Things are not looking great for the Steelers, but what always looks great is when it's September, and you know what that means, Baldy. It means listening to the Prevent Defense podcast, and it means the NFL on CBS is back. We just talked about a lot of the questions in the NFL right now. How will they get over the loss of Big Ben? Does this mean the Patriots are going to repeat? It looks like it's the Cowboys' year, but is that definitely the case? And will Patrick Mahomes be able to lead the Chiefs and Andy Reid to a championship? The only way to get the answers to those questions is to stream your local game live every Sunday with CBS All Access, available across all of your favorite devices. How do you do that? You go to cbs.com insider to get a free one-week trial of CBS All Access. Once again, that's cbs.com slash insider to get a free one-week trial of CBS All Access. And Baldy, we ended that talking about the Steelers. They lose Big Ben this week. They make another big move, though, to bring in Minka Fitzpatrick from the Miami Dolphins. I want to ask you about Minka because I know you've probably seen almost every snap he's played in his career, but I want to talk about the value of that trade. If you're the Steelers, you give up a first-round pick plus to get a guy like Minka. We just talked about the Steelers, right? I, I think the season is over. I think this is a team that could finish 6-10, and 5-11, maybe 7-9 and nine if they're lucky. But either way, the Dolphins just acquired a lottery pick, in my opinion, for Minka Fitzpatrick. A player that is good, he's versatile, but he's already said he doesn't want to play multiple positions. So his ability to be versatile is not really a strength if he doesn't want to do it. He's a nickel cornerback, which is what he's played. Now, that's an increasing of position of value in the league with how many teams run three wide receiver sets, but he's not a Jalen Ramsey on the outside. He's not an Earl Thomas at safety. He's a very, very good nickel that can play in other spots. The Steelers just give up a top 15 pick for him. How good is this guy, or was this an overpay? I didn't understand the trade at all. I mean, the Steelers' defense could not – I mean, the Patriots picked him apart when they were in man coverage left and right. Now, if you, if Minka Fitzpatrick comes in and he plays, uh, you know, better than any of the other corners there right now, all right. But I, I haven't really figured out what his position is. I mean, you're saying nickel corner. I, I, I've seen him kind of all over the place. Xavier Howard mm-hmm. is their best corner, uh, you know – Bobby McCain and Rashad Jones has been their safety. I mean, I haven't really figured out what he's great at and and what plays that he makes on a regular basis that you think this is a missing piece. Because I can see what the Steelers are thinking. If he's a great player, if he is Jalen Ramsey or Jair Alexander or somebody like that, I can say, okay, let's build up the defense right now. We got a bunch of number one picks. Let's Let's build it up. And then let's see if we can dominate from the defensive side of the ball and keep the score down while our offense catches up. If that's what you are thinking, like what the Green Bay Packers have done, and now they've got a looks like a really good defense that they can pack every week, and they kept the Vikings out of the end zone at the end of the game to win that one, 
I can see if that's your philosophy, if that's the player, but I don't see the value in the player to your first question. Right. So, you know, they drafted Devin Bush. They didn't even start Devin Bush the other day. Like he's a little bit lost out there. He's not a dominant player at this point. They, they started Vince Williams at middle linebacker last week. They played Devin Bush, you know, when Vince Williams got hurt and played him sparingly. They've got all these players they drafted, Bud Dupree, you know, I mean, look look at all the high picks, Artie Burns, all these guys are on the roster. I don't see any of them really on a regular basis impacting the defense. And Minkin Fitzpatrick might be the next guy like that. And see, that that's my whole thing. Like, with Big Ben on the team, maybe I can still see the logic. Like, Big Ben is still one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I admit they look like a mess, so even then maybe it's not a good idea. But it's weird to make this move why after the Big Ben injury like your your season has changed the value of that pick has changed it's like when the Eagles traded uh Sam Bradford to the Vikings people thought that's going to be a late round pick but that ends up being a lottery pick and I think there's yeah. a really good chance this does there's maybe only 15 to 20 players in the league that are worth the value of a top 15 top 10 pick in the NFL and yeah. Minka Fitzpatrick just just simply isn't one of them one player that might be though Jalen Ramsey of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's reportedly requested a trade. He talked about that at his availability on Tuesday. Didn't deny it. Basically said, looking forward to playing on Thursday if I'm still here. So seems like he definitely wants out. The blow up on the sidelines certainly indicates that. I think Jalen Ramsey is worth a first round pick. Even if that pick turns into a top 15-ish type pick. Only 24 years old. One of the best cornerbacks in the league, if not the best cornerback a position of premium value in the NFL. The way I gauge things is this, is if the Patriots value that position, then you should value that position. The Patriots, they pay cornerbacks. We saw them go mm -hmm. out and pay, you know, Stephen Gilmore. They obviously pay mm -hmm. Tom Brady. Jalen Ramsey's a guy worth trading for. Before we talk about what teams make sense for him, tell us why Jalen Ramsey's so good. Well, he's good when he plays to his strengths. And that's, part of the reason why he wants out. I mean, he is a press corner. You are playing Kansas City and you want to put him on a healthy Tyreek Hill, you put him on Tyreek Hill. You're playing the Steelers of old and Antonio Brown is there, you put him on Antonio Brown. I mean, you put him on the elite wide receivers in this league where teams really feed him, like DeAndre Hopkins, where if you can try to eliminate that player and make him go to the number two player or the number three, then he becomes even more valuable. Now, I've seen plenty of guys, including Antonio Brown, Tyreek Hill, and DeAndre Hopkins beat him. It's not like he just throws a blanket over these guys. I've seen him have difficulty with all those three players I've, I just mentioned. But that's what he wants to do. That's the style. He wants to travel. He wants you go to play Green Bay. I'm going to take Devontae Adams. I'm take him out of the game. I want him. Give him to me, coach. That's how he wants to play. That's how that's, it feeds his ego. It feeds his thirst for fame and nothing sort of looks bigger than taking on the number one wide receiver in his business. It's, it's a great matchup. Okay. You pay to watch that type of matchup. It's fun to watch, but he's not really playing that style in Jacksonville. And that's what is bothering him right now. And you know, but even if you want to try to be the next Darrell Rivas, all right. And we haven't seen anybody like that, but even if you want to be the next Darrell Rivas, Rivas still played zone. You still got to mix it up. If everybody in the league, like the Patriots, or, you know, I mean, like a good offensive coordinator, if they see you're a man coverage, there's a ton of man beaters that you can do to beat that. 
The idea that you can just play lockdown man coverage every down in this league, there's too many ways to beat that. Bunch formations, there's just too many ways to beat just pure straight man coverage right now. He has to be willing to change it up from time to time. So we both agree the Steelers overpaid for Minka Fitzpatrick. The reported asking price for Jalen Ramsey is starting with two first-round picks. Now, it sounds like a lot, but you remember what they got for Khalil Mack, what Laramie Tunsil went for. Is Jalen Ramsey worth two first-round picks? I would say no. As much as I value the position, I don't think there's, outside of a handful of quarterbacks, many players worth two first-round picks in this league. Maybe Khalil Mack, but outside of that, I wouldn't give up two firsts for Jalen Ramsey. One one first-round pick, I would consider it. You're a GM of a team. Any GM you think right now should give up two number ones for Ramsey? I don't say I, I don't think so right now. It's too much. Okay. There's too many opportunities to change the the fortunes of your team with those first round picks. There's just there's too many players that teams miscalculate on that can be there, whether it's in the middle of the draft, early in the draft. You never know, um, you know where you're going to pick. But there's just too many options with a first-round pick, but two first-round picks. Uh, I mean, I, 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 if I was Jacksonville and, you know, I was uh, David Caldwell there, I would try I would ask for the moon, too, and see if somebody mm-hmm. would pony it up. But in most cases, if you look at Keyshawn Johnson, if you look at the guys, Joey Galloway, you look at the guys that have been traded for two first-round picks, it generally hasn't worked out. Yeah, and then look, that's a tough part if you're the Jaguars right now because he's probably going to walk as a free agent this offseason, both because Jaguars don't seem to want to pay him what he wants, and two, he doesn't want to seem to be there. So the Jaguars are going to be looking for new cornerback helps. And Baldy, as we know, hiring can be a bit of a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a new director of coffee. So what did he do? He went to ZipRecruiter. He posted a job and found the best person for the role in just a few days. Something tells me it'll take the Jaguars a little longer than a few days to find the next Jalen Ramsey. But how did they do it? They use ZipRecruiter's technology to find people with the right experience, and it invites them to apply to your job. So it's really no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Baldy, a game I I was at this past week in Atlanta. By the way, amazing stadium there in Atlanta. Really was impressed by it. But Eagles-Falcons, we saw a game that was not what we expected. The Eagles lose to Sean Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey and Dallas Goddard right before kickoff. The Falcons end up winning that game, but I thought Matt Ryan looked really bad. He threw three interceptions. Carson Wentz looked awful for the majority game, played well at the end. I'm here in Philadelphia every day, and I think there's legitimate worry, reason to be worried about these Eagles. I think Carson Wentz has not looked that great overall this season. The combination of Doug and Carson are 6-7 and seven in their last 13 starts together. They're not showing they can win the close games, and we're finding out that these injuries to the receivers are pretty significant. ESPN just reported that Deshaun Jackson is going to be out for two weeks with an abdominal strain. Alshon Jeffrey was rumored to already be out this Sunday. And the Eagles signed a tight end today, which means Dallas Goddard's not really playing. They play a Detroit Lions team on Sunday that I think is going to be tough. And then they go on Thursday night to Green Bay. 
this is a crucial, crucial stretch for the Eagles. A one and three start is a real possibility. How worried should people in Philadelphia be about the Eagles right now? Well, they should be very worried. That game shouldn't have been close. I mean, it was clear, Elliot, that the Falcons' game plan was to go after Ronald Darby. There was a stretch when every single throw went right at him, and they missed one shot after another. I mean, they missed shots to Justin Hardy. They missed shots to Calvin Ridley. They missed shots to Julio Jones. I mean, there were home run shots that Matt Ryan just missed. Now, mm-hmm. that's now part of that was because of pressure, ball. I will say. Jim Schwartz did a good job blitzing. So part of that I thought they was blitzed a lot, Elliot, and, and it's unusual. But, you know, they it paid off. It paid off, and, and Matt Ryan missed a lot. But the secondary hasn't been good two weeks in a row. So that's a, that's a concern. They have not run the ball with any consistency at all. Now, they, I understand that Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks didn't play in preseason. One's coming back from a major injury. But, they ha- but that's not the excuse. I mean, they you can't ask Zach Ertz to block. But you have to, when he's the only tight end, he has to block. And so you mm-hmm. have very, you're very limited by what your runs are. And then you're asking him to play basically every snap. So Zach is in a tough spot because it's not what he does best. And, and, and he would admit that. But it's, it's just you, you, have a, you don't have a strong side run game. But they can't run the ball with any consistency. Carson, if I just took a screenshot, Elliot, of the sh- positions that Carson is in when he gets thrown a football, whether it's the 43-yard Hail Mary on 4th and 14, you know, wh- wh- it doesn't matter. He gets plastered. I mean, he takes shots that not many quarterbacks have ever survived, and certainly well, not for you, any length why of time. Do you think that, why do you think that is? Because I've seen Nick Foles come into this offense and have it run well, and he doesn't get hit a ton. Carson gets get sacked significantly more than other quarterbacks when they run this offense. Do you think he's holding on to the ball too long? Do you think he's not doing a good job reading the defense? Like, why do you think he's taking these hits? He, he holds on to him. I mean, when Josh McCown came in the game, he completed every pass. I mean, the ball yeah. came out of his hands right away. Now, he was a guy that's been here for three weeks, and he completed every, like, basically every pass. He just got the ball out of his hands, and he held the fort. And this, but, you know, he's 40 years old, and, he knows how to play the game. I think Carson, in some ways, is still trying to learn how to play. He's missed so much time, and he does hold the ball too long. And, you know, look, they had a, a fierce pass rush. Um, they got pressure on him. But even the her- heroic things he did in that fourth quarter to get him back in the game and to take the lead, all the things that he did, he, he still, I mean, it looks great, and they are highlights. But that's the cost of trying to do those things is you get hit a lot and you get hit hard. I mean, he got I mean, the play they went out of the game on. I mean, I didn't know if he was going to get up from that hit. Um, but yeah. it, it's just it, it's been going on now for three straight years in a row. And you just and I, I don't even want to say the word injury history, but any quarterback that was back there getting hit like that. And I've been saying it for a long time now since his rookie year. They're not going to survive in this business as tough and big and strong as he is, even on the two-point conversion, Elliot. Well, why are they running a read option and letting him take a shot to Deion Jones? Like, right, uh, just a, a shot, right, to the solar plexus. Like, you put yourself in those kind of positions each Sunday, eventually your quarterback is is not going to survive. Yeah, and he scores the touchdown on a QB sneak. Now, I know a QB sneak's a bit of a different type of hit to take, but you're still sending him up the middle. My biggest concern with the Eagles is this. 
is they've had the worst first quarter offense in the NFL since the start of last year. Now, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but Warren Sharp uh, has done an excellent job talking about it. Something like 70% of teams that are winning after the first quarter end up winning that game. So it's really no mystery that the Eagles were 9-7 and seven last year, that they're 1-1 one and one this year. Like, if, if you're not going to get leads, they're, they're not going to be a winning team. They're just not. Like, as much as I believe in Doug and as much as I think Carson has potential, they need to figure this first quarter offense thing out. Otherwise, they're in major trouble. But with Drew Brees out, let's talk about the Falcons a little bit because now that Drew Brees is out, Cam Newton is out, I mean, that division seems, seems wide open. I mean, from outside of maybe the Buccaneers, and I wouldn't even count them out, honestly. So what do you think the Falcons' chances are uh, after watching them on Sunday night of making a playoff run? Well, I mean, they found a way to make the play on fourth and four to Julio Jones. Now, they haven't been able to make that play against the Eagles, and that's why they've lost the last couple times they played. They couldn't make that play when they needed one more shot. And, you know, Julio uh, made the play, and it was the right call, and Matt Ryan anticipated a zero blitz, and that's what he got, and he called the right play. Um, so, you know, is that luck? Is that skill? Is that Julio? Is, uh, I think they still have a lot of holes as a team um, mm. with them. Uh, but but the division is up for grabs. I mean, look, Cam Newton was awful on Thursday night against Tampa. And you can tell, like, if he's not running the ball at all and they can't convert third downs or fourth downs like they couldn't, um, they're not going to be able to stay on the field and sustain offense. It, 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 I don't know what's going to happen there, but – if they can't get better quarterback play, they're not going to be, they're not going to be in that division race whatsoever. Yeah, I agree. The, the play of Matt Ryan has been very disappointing. So coming up on the Prevent Defense podcast, we're going to talk about Week Three, some of the more exciting matchups. But first, first, this quick word. Hey, this is Cody Decker from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com Sports Original, here to talk to you about hymns. Now, baseball has done a hell of a job ruining my hairline over the years, and quite frankly, my wife can't stand it. Well, thank God I just started taking hymns. Go to 4hymns.com. 4hymns.com is your one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Now, hair loss gets to be a decision rather than an absolute fate. Hymns connects you to real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. These are no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. No, this is real medication from doctors backed by science. Use promo code SWING and my listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See website for full details and safety information. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4hymns.com slash swing. That's 4hymns spelled F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash swing. All right, Baldy. Week three is here. I agree with you. It's Pretty wild we're already in week three. It feels like training camp just began yesterday. A lot of good matchups on the week three schedule. I mean, of course, I know you love every single game in the NFL. But a lot of really good matchups I wanted to pick your brain on. We talked yeah. about the Rams as being one of the best teams in the NFC. Probably, I mean, the NFL, honestly. Uh, Cleveland gets, gets over the week one loss. The Rams are going to Cleveland. Another really good test for the Browns to see where they're at. I think the fact that it's in Cleveland – makes this a much more interesting matchup. I don't know if I would like the Browns' chances out in L.A. What are some of the things you're looking for in that game? Well, offensively, Cleveland does not look like 
they don't look anything like the offense that, you know, finished five and two down the stretch last year. I mean, I don't see the formations that Freddie Kitchens had. I don't see the play action. I don't see the deep shots. Um, look, Odell had two big plays and Jarvis Landry had one last night. Um, you know, one handed catch and an RPO that went 89 yards for a touchdown. But the big plays that they got down the field last year came on first down and play action and max protection. And I don't see those plays at all in this offense right now. So, you know, Baker has not been great uh, by any stretch of the imagination right now. He's missing receivers and the offense line has not been good. Uh, so I'm waiting for that offense to get in the gear because it has to against this team. And, you know, the way Aaron Donald played last week, it, they, they, just, they just aren't prepared to play Eric Cush. I mean, the guys that they have in there right now, I, I, they're not prepared to handle a guy like that and how disruptive he is. And I'm anxious to see what their game plan is. He ruined the New Orleans Saints, who had done a good job in two games last year of nullifying Aaron Donald. But it's more than that. Like Clay Matthews has played well. His dad played in Cleveland for 19 years. Going to Cleveland mm -hmm. is a big deal to Clay Matthews and that family. Um, Taylor Rapp has been a good addition to that football team. They've got a good team. They've got corners that can lock up with OBJ and Jarvis Landry. Uh, they welcome the challenge. Uh, and then defensively, look, Miles Garrett is an awesome player. But these personal fouls of his, he has to adjust the way he plays the game. Aaron Donald adjusts the way they play. But it, between the offsides and the personal fouls, he's hurting the team as good as he is. And he's been dominant in first two games. I mean, he has been he's been a real force. I mean, whoever when you watch this game, to watch Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald go at it, you might look at number one and number two in this league for the defensive MVP of the league in this game. Mm. But defensively, uh, you know, I just think that when Sean McVay has your number, you're in trouble. Like that guy yeah. can figure things out as the game goes on. So I'm excited for the quarterback matchup. I know that they're not on the field at the same time, obviously, but Jared Goff, uh, Baker Mayfield. When I think of Jared Goff, I wonder, like, what's it going to take for him to get mentioned in the same class as a Carson Wentz, Patrick Mahomes, those type of guys? Like, the guy, all he does is win. And I get that quarterback win-loss record to the analytical crowd can be a bit taboo. They say, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, quarterback win-loss record does matter. Like, if you're a quarterback and you consistently win, that tells me you're really good. I don't care if Sean McVay is your head coach. Jared Goff's the one out there making the throws. He beat mm -hmm. Cam Newton in week one. Beats the Saints again, beat him in the playoffs last year. And now I think to go against Baker, a guy that everyone would agree is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league, despite his, his slow start. I think it's going to be like one of these moments on Sunday night where Jared Goff can kind of say to the rest of the NFL, stop taking credit from me. Stop saying it's all Sean McVay. Stop talking about these other guys. Jared Goff's one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. If I'm playing Jared Goff, I'm worried about that because I know that he – he knows how to win games, and he's got big-time arm. He makes accurate throws. I'm excited to watch Jared Goff on Sunday night. Well, the Browns better figure out a way to affect him. I mean, Sean McVay yeah. knows how to protect him. Uh, play action is really, really difficult to, uh, to, to figure out with what they do. They protect their edges with formations and wide their wide receivers block as well as any set of wide receivers in the league, whether it's pass blocking or run blocking. They ask Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and these guys to all – Take a, it's a big part of the success of their offense. And so they bigger figure out a way to move Jared Goff off that spot 
and make him inaccurate. And you do that by hitting him early in the game. Uh, that's their best bet. Uh, the Saints had a hard time doing that on Sunday. And so I'm anxious to see, um, you know, with two new young offensive linemen in there, in Brian Allen and, and Joe Noteboom, if they can do those things right now for the Los Angeles Rams. They've got a very good offensive line coach in Aaron Cromer. Uh, they're really well coached. And so that's the – their front – has to really affect this game. They they they've got a lot of money invested with Sheldon Richardson and Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon and Ogan Joby. They've got a lot of money and resources invested in that defensive line, and they got to wear the hat on Sunday. Another really exciting matchup this Sunday: Baltimore Ravens at the Kansas City Chiefs. Lamar Jackson, like an early MVP candidate, obviously very early, but he has been one of the most improved players in the league. And I think his record as a starter is something absurd, like eight, eight or one, eight and one, or nine and one, or something. Yeah. So he he's been very, very good. But now he has the passing touchdowns to match it. And then obviously, know what Patrick Mahomes is. I mean, I'm I'm in Atlanta on Sunday, getting ready for the Eagles game. I look and I'm saying, okay, this game's kind of close we'll get with him and the Raiders. Next thing you know, it's like twenty-eight to ten. He has four touchdowns in a matter of oh, what felt like minutes. The guy is just playing at an unreal level. Tell me about Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Well, you know, if they gave out an award for the assistant coach of the year, you'd have to give it to Greg Roman in Baltimore. Uh, he's yeah. done a phenomenal job, not just, and I'm not taking anything away from Lamar Jackson, but they are very well united in what they want. Now, remember, Greg Roman coached Colin Kaepernick in that offense in San Francisco, and they've taken it to a different level. Marquise Brown is a star already. And on the opening drive, they threw it to Marquise Brown on three different occasions down the field. And then on the fourth time, they faked it to him. And they threw it to Mark Andrews on a double move. And Bolt, you know, and really, uh, you know, they, the, the Arizona Cardinals, uh, they just bit on it. And Andrews walked in on the opening drive. And in the second drive, you know, they run a, a power pistol formation that they ran in San Francisco with Kaepernick. And, you know, Mark Ingram goes for 16 yards. They line up the next play. They run the exact same play, except that time they fake it to Gus Edwards and uh, Lamar Jackson pulls it and he goes for 16 yards. I mean, mm -hmm. they set big plays up, you know, but when the game was in the balance last Sunday, third and 11, three minutes to go in the game, the Ravens hanging on to a, you know, a slim lead. Lamar Jackson made the best throw I've seen him make maybe ever. I mean, a 41 yard shot to Marquise Brown uh, down the sideline. He dropped it in the bucket. You would have thought Kurt Warner was making a throw back in, you know, the greatest show on turf. I mean, the guy's getting better. He's just getting better. And it's a great offense. And Kansas City is far from being a great defense. I saw that game last year in Kansas City uh, late in the year. And the Ravens hit uh, Patrick Mahomes 16 times that day. I don't know how many times they sacked him. Um, but he just kept coming at him. And to watch the second quarter of Patrick Mahomes last week against the Raiders, I mean, it was a video game. I mean, he threw for 300 yards in the second quarter. And the touchdown throws from the first play of the second quarter to 45, 47 seconds left in the second quarter, one was better than the other. I mean, it was mm -hmm. just – and the one thing, if it's third and 20, the Chiefs don't check it down and punt. They attack you. It doesn't matter what the down and the distance is. They, they figure out a way to attack what you're doing. I don't care if you're dropping eight guys and run a sticks defense. They're, they got to play to attack you. And that's what the Chiefs do. They never stop attacking. I keep waiting. Well, I don't want him to slow down, but I keep 
not believing that he's playing this well. And he's like, well, he's got to, he's got to eventually have an off day or slow it down. The dude just might be unreal. Like with Andy Reid as his head coach, Patrick Mahomes can make every single throw on the field. He might just be, we might just be watching the beginning of greatness here. That really could be the case, but Baldy, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Prevent Defense Podcast. Very excited for week three. Very excited, as always, for your Baldy breakdowns. So I'm excited to talk to you next week. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing. And thank you for the reviews that you've been leaving. Really do appreciate it. If you want to leave a review with a question, we'll make sure to talk about it and get that Baldy breakdown from it. So thanks for listening. I'm Elliot Shore Parks. Brian Baldinger, the one and only. Baldy, I will talk to you next week. Always a pleasure, Elliot. Look forward to it, buddy.